Go to verse 14. I'm going to kind of reiterate this. The word I want to put in your ear to start this morning is verse 14. And remember what's happening is John is kind of pointing to what I, what I like to refer to as the beginning of the end. Okay, so how does that last period of time on earth actually start? And what John has told us is that there's going to be not, not now a series of events, but one, boom, cataclysmic event that, that starts the end times by taking all the stuff that we prop ourselves up with, okay, our, our economy, uh, our, our world politic, and crashing down their ability to hold us up anymore, okay? I always say to myself, we're living in a world that is, for the most part, an illusion. It really is. We deceive ourselves into thinking we are secure in what we've done, right? I've got my bank account. I've got my retirement set. I've got the Social Security. I've got, you know, a future here. I've got my job. Guess what? If all of that went away like that, what would you do? If all of a sudden you went to the bank and the banker said, we, we, sorry, we're shut down. We have no records of any, anything anymore. Okay. That's what I think we're looking at here is that pointing to this very quick meltdown of what Revelation has been describing as the beasts. The political beast and the economic beast crash down upon us. Okay. Most people in our world don't think like that. We just, what, we wake up in the morning, we go about our life, we think about the things that we want, we think about the things that are in front of us. And, and so the question that I always ask people when I look at verse number 14 is, look at the very first words of that, what, what fruit is your soul longing for today? What's inside of you that you're thinking about, that you're seeking out, that you want to acquire because it's the next thing that I need in my life? Okay, it may be a thing, it may be a position, it may be um, a relationship, but we all have stuff our souls long for. What does your soul long for? Okay. Just thinking about this again, um, you know, yesterday, I, I always hate to pick on HGTV, but um, I think there was an episode on, and these people were, were looking for a, a log cabin. When I think of a log cabin, I'm thinking like a little log cabin. Oh, no, no. They're looking for like this, these massive log cabins. So... This couple, they're out looking at these cabins, and they walk into this one, and I mean, it is phenomenal. It's got the huge ceilings and, you know, um, outdoor, you know, recreation room, indoor. I mean, unbelievable uh, view outside the window, and the, this lady walks up, and she goes, I, I don't like it. And, uh, you know, the realtor says, well, well what, what don't you like? I, I can't see the mountains enough. And he says, well, there's a, there's a river right now. You can see the beautiful river. If you look out there, I don't like it. And I thought to myself, <laughs> I'll, I'll take it. Okay, I'm like, I mean, I'll sacrifice, okay? But what happens is we live in a world that's always putting stuff in front of us, and we kind of get it in our minds that, you know, I deserve this. This is something I should have. What does my soul long for? Does my do we long for Jesus Christ the same way you long for that thing? Do I long for Jesus Christ the same way I long to get this position or to have this relationship? 
What does my soul long for? And what God is looking for is he doesn't look at the outside of our lives. He looks at what's going on in here. And that's really the question that's being asked. Am I hungry, starved for that relationship with Jesus Christ in my life? Because that's what it means to, to walk with him. Okay? For all of those who've been hungry for the stuff of the world, this day being described here is a bad day because it's all collapsing. And all of a sudden that lady will say, I don't like it because um, I don't have it anymore. It's, what do I pay for it with? What do I, how do I hold it up? I don't have, it's all gone. Like that, right? So let's kind of pick up from that. Verse 15 takes us to, again, just this scene of the response of human beings on earth to what they see going on as this collapse takes place. It says, the merchants of these wares who gain their wealth from her stand far off. They're fearful now, okay? They're fearful of her torment, weeping, and mourning aloud, okay? So it's a, it's a word picture. It's saying you, you, the, the people who who made their wealth off of the, the stuff of this world are looking at it. Now that we're afraid. There's fear there. Because now what are we going to do? We have nothing to prop ourselves up with. We have nothing to, to hold on to for security. Uh, and, and they're acting like people. Just notice the words torment, weeping, mourning. They're acting like people who are experiencing a death. Well, they are experiencing a death. They're experiencing a death of that which has held them up. And so they're fearful standing back going, what will we do now? The words are interesting. Uh, verse 16, alas, alas, the great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple scarlet adorned with gold with jewels and poor pearls in a single hour has been laid to waste. Okay? So there's this recognition that this came quickly, not, not extended, but quickly. Okay? All the ship Masters and seafaring men, sailors, all whose trade is on the sea, stood far off and cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning. What city was like the great city? And I like verse 19. Make a comment. I'll say, threw dust on their heads as they wept and they mourned, crying out aloud. Um, when I was in Lincoln, I had an interesting experience. We had a Sudanese a community that became part of our church. And um, one day, the Sudanese came to me, and, and the minute they walked in the door, um, I knew trouble, problem, right? So this group of men came walking up to me, and they said, Pastor Luke, um, our friend has died, and we need help. So I said, what, what, what do you need? We, need? we need to bury my friend. I'm like, okay, well, we're going we're gonna to bury your friend. So the congregation actually kind of raised, rose up to the occasion, and um, we, we said, we're going to bury him. Well, um, we'll help, you know, pay the cost of it. So the big day came for the, for the funeral. And uh, when we went out to the cemetery, I'd never really seen this before. Um, the ladies came to do the mourning, the weeping. Okay. So, I mean, at a, at a normal American funeral, we'll have tears, we'll cry, we've got Kleenex, of course, we're emotional, right? But, but that's, that's not mourning, okay? What's being described here, through dust on their heads and wept and mourned, is more like what I experienced through the Sudanese. I mean, this group of ladies, they were very particular. They, I mean, the, the, 
they could not, you couldn't throw dust on the casket in, until the casket was lowered, lowered down, and then you had to bury the whole casket right then and there, right? While the ladies uh, sounded like, Now multiply that times like 100, and you've got mourning. And I was like, standing there like this. Thank you very much. Thank you for mourners. Now, we will continue. It was hard to do that, that whole service. This is what you're experiencing here, is when it, when it uses this word imagery, threw dust on their heads, wept and mourned, crying aloud. That's what it's saying. It's saying, we're at a funeral. The great city has fallen. It's dead. Everything we depended on, everything we propped ourselves up with is dead. You get a repeat of the same language. Alas, alas, the great city where all who had ships at sea grew rich, rich by her wealth. In a single hour, she has been laid to waste. Now notice the contrast. While all the world is mourning, okay, all these people, we've lost our economy. Okay. What, what is heaven doing? Really an interesting word here. The very first word in verse 20 shows the contrast of what's happening in heaven. And in the ESV, the translation is, rejoice over her, O heaven. Rejoice over her, O heaven. Okay? The Greek word here, I think, is very telling. It's you fry no. You fry no. Okay? So we kind of get our English word, you Euphoria from this particular word, all right? So if you have euphoria, you ever had euphoria, right? It's just that, that place where you get where you're just like, every, everything is good. Everything is fine now. Everything is right, okay? That's what heaven is doing. You have weeping over here, people whose souls long for the stuff of the world. Really what he's saying is those who do not know Jesus Christ, who have no relationship with him, their, their world is now being destroyed. It's gone. Those who have relationship with Jesus Christ, even if we're alive, if, if I'm alive and we enter into this period, the, the half a time, the sense inside of me should not be, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? But the sense inside of me should be what? Praise God for the collapse of all of this stuff so that finally the world can understand you've got nothing to hold on to. All the stuff you've propped yourself up with is gone. There's only one thing left to hold on to, and it is the promise of Jesus Christ, period. Because guess what? Death is coming quickly. In fact, you're going to long for it. You're going to want it. I'm not afraid of it. Why not? Because I have the promise of Jesus Christ. There's no fear. There's no dust. There's no weeping. There's no mourning. There's no now. What are we going to do? Our sense as a body, and I really believe that John is trying to prepare the body. Even as he's writing these words, he's getting the church ready to do what? Go out in these last times and bring the hope of Jesus Christ to people. Give them something real to hold on to. So that if we're alive... My feeling is not weeping, it is euphoria. It is yea God, okay? I want you to kind of look at this through an Old Testament text. Beautiful Old, text, Old Testament text that kind of demonstrates euphoria. You'll, you'll recognize this as, as pretty familiar. But go over to Exodus chapter 15, and you'll see what, uh, what euphoria kind of looks like. Exodus 15, this is taking us to that moment in history, right, where... Um, 
God has led Israel across this, the Red Sea and uh, the waters have now crashed down upon the armies of Egypt, okay? So get that picture in your mind. The enemy has been crashed in upon, right? Same thing here in Revelation. The enemies of God crashed in upon. Euphoria. A song erupts out of Moses. And I love these, I've always loved these words. Verse, uh, chapter 15, it says, Then Moses and the people of Israel, they sang this song to the Lord. They euphoriaed, Okay? For some reason, people in the, in the Middle East, when they, when they sing and they dance, they sing and they dance, right? I'm kind of looking forward to that, part two. If you guys are going to go see that, part two, my, my big fat Greek wedding. Because I'll tell you what, they know how to dance. This is what this sounds like. This is not kind of a, an American D-D-D-D-D. This is, you, you know these words, right? I will sing unto the Lord, for he is triumph gloriously, the horse and rider thrown into the sea. You know that song? The Lord is my strength and my song. Where, does that, where do we sing that song? The Jews still sing it to this day. Where do they sing it? Pasach, Passover. Right? When you celebrate the Passover, one of the things you remember is God always crushes his enemy, the horse, the rider, the strength of men, the army of Egypt, an unparalleled army. There's no way that a group of slaves with no weapons, no military training, no might, no help, no budget, there's no way you come against the greatest army that's ever been put together on earth. Boom. In one second. Destroyed by God's hand. And no wonder there's euphoria. There's this sense of God has done it. And so in heaven, you get this great contrast that's going on. The, you hear the weeping of the world. What are we going to do now? And you hear the euphoria in heaven. For those of us who are on earth, my contention is, if we are alive and we go into the last times, what a horrible, great time to be alive. Horrible, horrible time. Do I really want to be alive? Not really. Is it a great time? Absolutely yes. Why? Because now what my soul longs for is in agreement with God. God today, when he wakes up, he's not interested in a mountains, mountain view. He's got that, trust me. He's interested in eternity. He wants all of us to live, in a, to live like we know that this world we're, we're in, it's going to crash down. Boom. It doesn't mean a whole lot. So as you live out your life, live in a way that your soul longs for the things of God. Prepare for, guess what, eternity. That's what he wants us to get ready for. So if we're alive on that day, you're not going to find me going, oh no, now what are you going to do? I'll have a huge smile on my face and I'll say, finally, at last, people have nothing, nothing to hang on to. But we have something. It's the promise of Jesus Christ that he calls us to bring. In heaven, if you go to verse 20, you, you hear these words, you saints, apostles, prophets. Okay. Saints are, are the, those who've gone before us who are in the presence of God today. Apostles, prophets. God has given judgment for you against her. Okay. Remember every single one of the apostles that we um, know by name. 
died horrible deaths. Horrible deaths. Whether chopped in two, hung upside down on a, on a cross, boiled, horrible deaths. Every single one of them. I would contend died with a song on their lips. Giving thanks to the Lord Jesus Christ. In heaven, we've heard this voice crying out, how long, God, before you avenge the blood of those who've gone before you? Here's the answer. Until this moment, now, as I prepare to come and bring an end to it all. Verse 21 says, Then a mighty angel took up a stone. I kind of like this. It's kind of interesting. He took up a stone, a great stone like a millstone, and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. Okay? For the, the Jewish year listening to this, there's some parallels in history that they're familiar with. Okay? So when I say to you, Babylon the Great has been cast down with violence, it's a word picture for something that actually has happened in history, and the Jews are familiar with it, namely the destruction of Babylon. All right? Jeremiah, in his 51st chapter, really painted a picture of what would happen to, uh, to mighty Babylon. Remember Babylon... Um, following the Persian Empire, became that, that world power that everyone said nobody will be able to topple. Well, eventually, guess what? The Greeks toppled it. They, they, they overcame it quickly. All right? When Jeremiah describes the way that Babylon falls, just look over at, just look over at uh, Jeremiah 51. He uses language that the, the Jews would say, oh, okay, we get this. We get what you're talking about. This is a word picture of what happened to actually ancient Babylon. Jeremiah was not a popular prophet. He had a horrible job. And part of what his job was was prophesying uh, against the nation of Babylon and letting Babylon know that while, while, you, while you hold Israel as prisoners, God, God will come against you, and when you fall, you will fall quickly. So in chapter 51, just listen to some of this language. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will stir up the spirit of a destroyer against Babylon. Who was that destroyer, by the way? Alexander the Great. Right? I always remember Alexander the Great in history. When you, when you study war theory, you go back and you look at how Alexander and the, the, the Greco Empire was established. What a phenomenal war mind Alexander the Great had. By the way, just a side note, anyone know how, what, what, war, what war did Alexander the Great actually get killed in, die in? Yep, no war. Killed himself alcohol poisoning. He drank himself to death. Interesting, isn't it? Alexander is the spirit <clears throat> being des described right here by the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah never knew him by name. He's talking about something that would happen long after he's gone. I'm going to spear, steer up this destroyer who will come against you. <clears throat> Verse number two, I'll send to Babylon winnowers. They, they shall winnow her and shall empty her land when they come against her from every side on the day of trouble. 
Let not the archer bend his bow. Let him not stand up in his armor. Spare not her young man. Devote to destruction all her army. Same thing that happened to Egypt. God says, guess what? I'm going to do that to you, Babylon. And when you read this, go to verse number eight. It's, it's sudden. Suddenly Babylon has fallen, has been broken. Well for her. Take balm for her pain. Perhaps she may be healed. We would have healed Babylon, but she was not healed. Forsake her. And let us go each to his own country. So, so the Jews, when they hear John say that this mighty angel took up a stone, like a millstone, and threw it into the sea, saying, so will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down. If you take a big millstone and throw it in the water, it's going to go fast. That's the picture that he's given. The new Babylon <clears throat> is the empire that we are experiencing today, right? All our economic, political machinery that we look at and hold on to, boom. The mighty angel throws it down and with violence, okay? So I do expect that that initial moment that initiates that half a time, it's not a happy moment. It's a violent moment. And God permissions it. Verse 22 and 23 are very interesting to me. And the sound of harpists and musicians, of flute payers and trumpeters will be heard no more. That's interesting to me. You know what picture comes to my mind when I, when I read that? Titanic. When the Titanic was going down, what did they do? Let's get the musicians out. <clears throat> I I, by the way, I love that. I love that, you know, that, that, I know it's not all historical, but that movie, you know, you, where it just depicts those guys getting out there and they're just playing their music. And, and, and you just picture that, your ship is going down. A lot of times, like right now, when I listen to the politicians talking about the stuff they're talking about, you know what I think? You're a flute player. Your ship is going down, you have no clue. And you're speaking these words, you know, like you actually have answers to the problems in this world. You don't. You don't have one. The best you can do is try to prop up this illusionary world that we live in. And guess what? It's going down. Like a millstone that hits the water. Bam! Like that. And I see that in America. We try to prop up our stuff and God says, mm -mm, nope, that thing is going down. It's just that picture. Craftsmen. Craftsmen shall not craft any craft. They will be found no more. The sound of the mill. You will hear no more. All these economic clues that he's given you. It's all just crashes down. Who wants to hear a harpist or a flautist when, you, when you're trying to just survive? Right? Now, don't miss this next one. This next verse is really important to me. And the light of a lamp will shine in you no more. And the voice of a bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more. This is interesting. That in this last time, right, um, the light and the bride and the bridegroom are no longer being heard. Okay? Reference that I want to come back to is, if you look at it, this lamp, bridegroom, bride... Go over into the New Testament, into Matthew chapter 25, and you get this picture of what I think is being said here. 
Matthew 25. Familiar parable, right? What's it about? A lamp, a bride, and a bridegroom. Okay. When Jesus described how the kingdom of God would come into the world, he used word pictures, parables. And in chapter 25, he uses this parable of a lamp, a bride, and a bridegroom. Here's what he says. Verse 20 says, The kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps. They went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy, forgot to set their clocks forward, and slept. <laughs> but at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom! Come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are out, the wise said, Since there will not be enough for us, go and buy some for yourselves. While they were going to buy, the bridegroom came. Those who were ready went in to the marriage feast and the door was shut. Now, go back to Revelation. And the light of a lamp will shine in you no more. And the voice of a bridegroom and a bride will be heard in you no more. Hear an echo of Jesus' words. What's he saying? In this, this last time, this half a time, there will come to the, this moment when the door will be Shut. Okay. The role of Christians living on earth in that half a time is to reach out with the gospel to as many people as will hear it because it's leading to this, this moment where the door is shut and the sound will not be heard again. That's what he's pointing to. He's saying, this is, this is it. There's, there's, there's not going to be a second chance. And to be honest with you, the one thing that really upsets me about a lot of eschatology, a lot of the books and movies that we see about Revelation and the end times, picture things as though you get a second chance. We're going to have, you know, some kind of a rapture, and then, you know, the people that are still here, the, you, you get your second chance, and then no second chance here. Right. Um, when you read the Revelation and you read it the way that it's written, what happens is, There'll be a rapture, all right, and it's going to come at the very end when God raptures us up into the air for the judgment, okay? Prior to that, all of these things that are being described are happening, will continue to happen, and then will culminate with this half a time. And it just upsets me when I hear people say, well, you know, all the Jews are going to come to, come to know God in this, this last time. I'm like, no, they're not. There's nothing in the Bible that tells me all the Jews are going to come to know God. No, there's not. Will there be some Jews that come to know him? Yes. Why? Because before that, that door slams shut, there will be people like you and I who say, brother, sister, our blood, it goes back to Adam. I'm one of you. Jesus Christ is Messiah. Hold on to him. There will be Jews who come to know him. Will all the Jews convert? No. It just upsets me that there's a lot of stuff out there I read. I'm like, this, this is not in the Revelation. Revelation is very plain about what happens as we come to the end. That light will go out. 
the door will be shut. The sound of the bride and the bridegroom will be heard no more. And then he concludes, he says, For your merchants were the great ones of the earth, and all the nations were deceived by your sorcery, and in her was found the blood of the prophets and saints, all who have been slain on earth. And chapter 18 ends then with this picture of the destruction of that which has come against God for so long. Chapter 19 picks up, and I again, chapter 19 to me is... Is a is a beautiful picture because we're gonna we're gonna see the rejoicing now that's going on in heaven, that that points to uh, the coming now of 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 Jesus and the ultimate uh, resurrection. Okay, so let's let's move into nineteen. It says after this, after this, I always I always read those words and I think if I'm John and I'm getting this whole revelation at one time, right? There's these moments where you just kind of go. Whoa, that was a lot right there. Now, okay, John, we're moving on to the next picture. Okay, I've just watched this total destruction. Now I'm going to give you a good picture of what's going on in heaven because there's rejoicing going on. It says, after this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Right? Look at what he says next. Salvation... Glory and power belong to our God. Okay? This is about salvation. This is about glory, Shekinah, the presence of God. The power of God is all His. This is His day where He is revealed. Okay? When is God going to come? When is God going to take care of all these problems? When is God going to stop all this stuff? Now, here. Now God's power is displayed. His judgments are true and they are just. Okay. A lot of people say, well, you, why do you Christians? What? Honestly, a lot of people who listen to a class like this, they say, what, why are you Christians talking about some God that would destroy people? <clears throat> Isn't your God just this loving God, like this teddy bear God, like whatever I need, I go to him and I pray God? I mean, isn't that the God of Christianity? I'm like, no. No, it's not the God of Christianity. The God of Christianity is absolutely a loving God. He is absolutely a truthful God. He's absolutely a just God. And in his justice, he will carry out exactly what he said he was going to carry out, going all the way back to the garden. And that means that this God that we follow with violence, bam, starts this end time. And we look at it and we say, and that's just. Why is it just? Because he's not doing anything that he said he wouldn't do. He's doing exactly what he said he would do. For those who have abandoned him and have lived outside of his will and have killed his prophets, God says, yes, there will be justice. I am the judge who will come on that last day. The only reason you and I have hope on that last day, on the judgment day, is not because of what we've done, right? It's because we're covered by Jesus Christ. When God looks at you and I, he sees his son. He says, I'm going to give you what you deserve. Oh, it's my son. That's my son. Here, this is what you deserve, relationship with me. If I'm outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ, when God looks at me, he says, I'm going to give you what you've earned, what you deserve, eternal separation from me. Hell, right? 
And that's, that's what's being said here. His judgments are true and just. He has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and avenged on her the blood of his servants. How many of you have a translation that goes on from there that says something a little bit different? Here's what mine says. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Any, anyone have something beyond that? Shed by her, okay. Anyone, anything else? Say again. At her hand. Okay, at her hand. Okay, so he has avenged on her the blood of his servants, or the blood shed by her, her hand, right? So if you think about it, you know, by his hand, he is bringing about judgment against what by their hand has come against him. Um, I always think about this. This translation leaves those words completely out of it. And so I, was, I just pulled open my, I was looking at, I always read this stuff. I mean, this is actually in my Bible. I just read it in Greek, and, and I see this, ek karyos atus, and I'm like, that's not in the English. I wonder why. And I think it's significant because when you think about it, here's God's hands. By my hand I bring judgment. Now watch this. By my hands, nails in them, I bring judgment. See the, see the contrast? I think that's intentional. I, I think those words should not be left out. By his hand, God brings judgment upon her hand. By his hands, he brings judgment upon Christ for you and I. We are set free because of his judgment. Verse number three says, once, once more they cried out, they cried out, hallelujah. The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. Okay. One of the sermon series I'd like to do for us here at Peace, if you think it would be helpful, is um, I'd, I'd honestly like to do a sermon series on hell. I don't know what to call it. I'm thinking of calling it Hell yes, <laughs> because our world says hell no. There's like no hell. We could put it out on our side. Hell yes. If people drive by peace, they'll be like, what kind of a, kind of a church is that? <laughs> Pat puts the temperature for Hawaii out there. She's like, what the Hawaii? Like we put it out in mid-January. <laughs> it's like five degrees here, Hawaii, 85 degrees. What kind of a church is that? Hell yes. So the reason I'd like to do that is the Bible repeatedly uses this language. It says, is there a hell? Yes, there is. And is there smoke that goes up forever? Yes. Okay. That's why I wrestle with, um, in theology today, uh, I mean, if I, if I sent my son, if I said, I want you to go to a theological institution today, most of them reject the idea of hell. They, they reject it completely. And uh, I'm like, no, 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 you, you can't reject it. It is absolutely clear. And what the people in heaven are doing are crying out, yes, yes, the smoke is going up. Um, I want to just close out with this. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and proskuneo, they worshiped God who was seated on his throne saying, amen, hallelujah. Remember the word amen means, literally means translated, yes, verily, truthfully. So what they're saying, to, they're saying yes to his yes. 
Yes, dear, yes. And from the, from the throne, a voice comes saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, all you who fear him. Great and small. All right, we're going to pick up on that next week because the marriage supper is a beautiful, beautiful picture for us of what's coming. And then the, uh, the white horse. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this morning, for this time together. Um, I hope these words just stay on our mind all week long. What does your soul long for?